So last week we started the Brahma Viharas, the Divine Abodes, and we're doing this four-week series. And so just to say, if you missed the first of our series last week, it's totally fine. It's okay. Each one stands on its own. But this four weeks is basically to explore what in Buddhism is described as the qualities of the awakened heart and mind. And it's both the qualities that are expressed when we're really awake and also it's the, those practices and teachings that then wake us up to experience the wholeness of who we are. Now the first of those qualities is metta, which is loving-kindness. And loving-kindness is what arises naturally when we are present and see the goodness and the beauty and the awareness that's right here. Our, our hearts open and we feel a connection. Compassion, karuna, that's the Pali word, is the second of these qualities and that's what we'll be exploring tonight. And compassion arises, the alchemy of compassion is when we, in a way it's courageous, when we have the courage and the presence to sense vulnerability when we just sense our human predicament that we're in these bodies and these minds and it's impermanent and everyone is, as I said, be kind everyone is struggling hard, you know so compassion arises when we recognize that and with that compassion there's a real understanding that we're all in it together it's not like a pitiful thing, oh poor you it's, oh yeah, this human predicament it's described as the quivering of the heart in response to this, this universal experience we have of insecurity. So I'd like to share a story that I heard recently and this is about a, a woman psychologist that was walking across the campus at Berkeley in California and she came across this, this uh, large group of men that were gathered around a couple of chimpanzees and one of the chimps was on a leash and the other was free. And as she stopped to see what was happening, she soon recognized that the chimp on the leash was a female. And the female had been brought to help capture the male because the male was loose. She was an instrument of his capturing. Now, obviously, the effort had been successful, and the male had kind of had a hold on the female's leash and was trying to pull her to mate with him. And the female was just as obviously not into this, and she was trying to pull away. And some of the men were watching, were encouraging the male, and her handler was evidently not trying to help her. So this woman psychologist's heart was immediately filled with compassion for the female chimp. And at that moment, just as the, as the psychologist was feeling this other being who was struggling, at that moment, the female chimp turned to her and made eye contact. And then she yanked her leash away from the male chimp and her handler and walked directly over and took the woman's hand. They both stood looking at the now silent group of men. Then the female chimp saw or felt another woman at the other edge of this group and led them both over to her and took her hand as well. And as they stood there silently but deeply connected, the men dispersed and the, the handler then took charge of his responsibilities. So when I heard this story, I just realized that compassion is more powerful than we think. That, that when there is that, that tenderness of the heart, it's an energetic field that absolutely interfaces with other beings and other psyches and other hearts. It's very, very powerful. And it creates a certain kind of safety and okayness that allows us to come back into uh, who we are. It's comforting to think that, and to know that each of us picks up what's going on with other people and that spontaneously or sometimes very intentionally it's our, our smile, our hug, our words, or just even our thought, our, our prayer that um, really can create comfort. I mean, that, that's really nice. There's something in us that loves to know that. And also to know that even when we're not actively caring, we care about caring. And that's important because we all know we get shut down. Every one of us gets armored and numb and forgets and self-occupied. But we know somewhere that we care about caring. 
And what is really beautiful is that when we're in that open-heartedness where we're letting ourselves be touched and we're in that field of here we are together, that we're, we're belonging, um, it's not like we're helping because of some sense of good personhood. I mean, we do a lot to, to feel good about ourselves and we act nice and we do good things and that's okay. I mean, we all need to feel like we're meeting that standard of good personhood. But really, when we're caring or helping, the reason it feels good is because we're more who we really are in those moments. We're kind of living from more the truth of who we are and we love being at home in that truth. So in Buddhism, this path of compassion is described as the bodhisattva path. And there's a bodhisattva path in every spiritual tradition. And it means it's the path of awakening beings that we're... And the more we wake up, the more intentional we get about waking up. That's one of the the kind of um, themes that we'll find, is that the more we start finding our heart being touched and being responsive, the more we know that matters and we want to be available. The bodhisattva path is most characterized by a shift in the sense of identity. That we shift from a sense of this self here, where we're living in a story about who we are and where we're going and what's wrong or what's right. So it's a shift from that selfness to a sense of that field of belonging, that we're part of this web of life. And really a shift to really this awareness that's here. So it's this evolutionary shift, because I do feel like this is happening in an evolutionary way where you move from the selfness to this belonging, that's really the hope of the planet. That when we see an animal that's hurting, it's not like an object out there, it's part of our body, our earth body. And we hear about somebody on the other side of the earth that's not like us in terms of race or whatever else, there's something in us that knows, oh, it's, it's me, I'm being hurt. It's, there's this belonging. And yet the challenge is, to this awakening of compassion, is that there's just very strong conditioning, and it's not our fault, for our brains to perceive separateness, for our body-minds to get anxious, to try to collect more for me, to try to protect, to try to defend. It's just our conditioning, and I see one of the greatest challenges for us is that we blame ourselves for our conditioning. You know, we hear about the bodhisattva path and we feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be feeling non-separation. I'm supposed to feel one with every animal and plant and being on the planet. And yet we know when we're honest. As we walk through our daily life, we're very much in um, kind of small-mindedness, you know. We get very caught up in very mundane stuff. And a lot of it's what will make me more comfortable. We also know that the more stressed we get, the more self-centered we get. And the less we're able to... Sometimes we'll leave a retreat or a meditation class and feel really kind of expansive and sense that what we call the meta-field, that field of loving presence. And it's amazing. So we hit a stressor and we can all of a sudden snap at somebody. I mean, I've seen it even here where people tell me that they felt really fabulous from the meditation and they found that they were getting irritated because somebody got in line before them to get a book and they said, you know, and they said something. Or, you know, it just, we snap really quickly. And I like sharing, some of you might remember this little story about 11 people hanging onto a rope suspended from a helicopter. Ten were men, one was a woman. They all decided that one person should get off because if someone didn't, the rope would break and everyone would die. So the negotiation begins and they go back and forth and no one could decide who to go until finally the woman gives this very touching speech and she says how she'd give up her life to save the others because women are naturally compassionate and naturally sacrifice things for others around them, not receiving anything in return. And when she finished speaking all the men started clapping. (laughs) You know, I often will talk about compassion and people ask me this question 
about, well, does compassion mean I'm supposed to be the one to let go of the rope or the one to give away something? Or does compassion mean I let somebody insult me or take advantage of me? And um, just to write at the beginning, say that compassion is a state of awareness or consciousness whereby there's a remembering of our connectedness there's an openness to suffering and it doesn't mean that in this lifetime, in this body we don't do what we need to take care of ourselves it doesn't mean you know, there's a description that um, some Tibetan teachers use called idiot compassion you know, it's not enabling compassion is not something that means we indulge somebody or we pretend we're not upset or we drop all boundaries compassion's a quality of heart that remembers that we're all struggling and then acts out of the wisdom of our connectedness now with idiot compassion one of the ones that most um, strikes me is that we end up feeling sorry for somebody and thinking, you know that we should save them or help them and then we get drawn into something whereby we're not really helping us or them and that's just delusion. We're not really seeing what's going on. And some of you might remember, you know, John Bradshaw did all this work on shame, some of you probably know. So one of the cartoons I like is these two bears are talking and they've got John Bradshaw hanging up on a tree. His name's Bradshaw. He says he understands, I came from a single parent den with my inadequate role models. He senses that my dysfunctional behavior is shame-based and codependent. He urges me to let my inner cub heal. I say we eat him. <laughs> so you can get in trouble with idiot compassion. So we're going to look at, so what, what does it mean to really cultivate true compassion? And the first is to, beginning, is to understand that the trance of this selfness, of how we shut down, is really thick, that there's a lot of armoring, that it's really humbling how we can flip into a reactive kind of mode without even knowing it, and that when we look globally, we see the effect of this trance of separation, this habit of making an other an other, which then quickly can turn to being an enemy. And we can see it in the way we're so bent as a society on making war and on consuming. It's a sense of a self that needs to defend and protect and enhance. So we see it in the global violence, whether we're looking at Afghanistan or the Middle East. We see it in what's happening to the earth. And, and I'm speaking to it right now because our bodies know it. I mean, I barely know anyone now who's nervous system isn't registering what's happening to this earth. It's very painful. This is uh, Wendell Berry, he says, It is the destruction of the world in our own lives that drives us half insane and more than half. To destroy that which we were given in trust, how will we bear it? So this path of the bodhisattva of awakening is to recognize what happens when we live in the trance of separation to recognize how we destroy what we love including ourselves one of the verses that to me most expresses the healing, the awakening of the heart is Rilke and he says, I live my life in widening circles that reach out across this world I may never complete the last one, but I give myself to it. I live my life in widening circles that reach out across this world. I've come to understand this as circles of belonging, that we live in a circle of belonging and when we begin to wake up, we start belonging to our body and we start belonging to our heart and we start holding that with compassion and as we wake up in that circle we begin to connect with others and say, oh, okay, we belong with each other and those circles widen and widen until, as as Ramana Maharshi says, there's no one excluded from our heart because our heart includes this world, it's made of this world. So widening circles. And so what we're going to do tonight is a series 
of meditations, compassion meditations, that have to do with widening our circles of belonging. So it will be an experiential night. I hope you'll really try them out. And the first circle, the Buddha began with the first circle, is really making peace and holding our own life with compassion. And people sometimes say with loving-kindness or compassion, well, offering it to myself, isn't that selfish? Doesn't that, like, aggravate that sense of self? But there's a real big difference between praising ourselves, our, our trying to, our pitying ourselves, or trying to soothe ourselves with food or drugs, and truly offering a tender presence. When we offer a tender presence to our inner life, we actually free ourselves. The heart of Buddhism is compassion. And the heart of compassion is compassion for ourselves. And when I say that, I mean for the life that's here. Forget the story of a self. For this vulnerability, this insecurity, this impermanent beingness that's right here, just holding that tenderly. The energy on the path of compassion, that which really moves us, is having a strong aspiration. In other words, it has to matter to be willing to open to what's really here. Otherwise, we'll do all the false refuges and avoid our life. So there's an aspiration that's formal on the Bodhisattva path that I'd like you to just kind of reflect on for a moment. And the words are, whatever arises, okay, just sense this in your life, whatever arises, may this serve to awaken compassion. Okay, so whatever arises, and that includes failures, disease, loss, fear, feeling violated, feeling misunderstood. The bodhisattva aspiration is whatever arises, may this serve the awakening of my heart. Now, what I'd like you to try on for a moment, try this aspiration on, and this is, we're working on the first circle right now, the circle of embracing this life right here. I'd like you to invite you to do is consider whatever circumstances are going on in your life right now that are difficult, that you might kind of wish away. And it might be something that's going on with your body that's difficult. It might be a mood you're getting stuck in. It might be something in a relationship with somebody else. It might be a misunderstanding, a conflict, a place where you're feeling hurt. It might be something to do with great loss right now. What's the circumstance in your life that challenges you. Let that circumstance be right in the center of your attention so you can kind of feel what it is about this that is either hurtful or scary, that's disturbing. And then just feel your heart, and if it helps to put your hand on your heart to really connect. Sense what would happen if you first look and notice, well, how have I been really relating to these circumstances this far? I mean, have I been judging myself, judging others, wishing them away, ignoring them? What's my attitude been? Feeling oppressed? Resenting them? so that as you feel your heart and notice, okay, so that's the way I've been kind of habitually relating to something difficult. Sense what would happen if you could feel that sincerity of prayer. May this too serve to awaken my heart. May this very circumstance not being, it's not something I want to get out of my way, it is the way. May this awaken compassion. And just notice what happens when that's even a possible prayer for you. 
rather than rejecting something difficult that you sense it it's not in the way, it is the way in your life, in the landscape of your life this is what's occurring to awaken compassion and as you sit the way that compassion awakens is to let yourself feel what's difficult about it without resisting just to acknowledge, okay, this hurts or this scares me this feels out of control so that there's just a direct witnessing of okay, this hurts, this is difficult and whether your hands on your heart or not just a sense wishing yourself well wishing that inner freedom where the heart is at peace feeling the circle of belonging with your own heart right now the sign of this awakening of compassion the circle of belonging with the life that's here is there is a shift in the sense of identity from that oppressed self that victimized self to the space of tender awareness that you're resting in something larger so you can open your eyes now and just so this is the beginning, this is what we've calling the first circle of belonging, the inner circle and the truth is that if we cannot in some way regard our own suffering with tenderness we can't truly include others in our heart if we're divided against our own pain we won't have the courage to open to others and see what's true for them so now we widen the circles and for most of us the circles widen as we begin to connect with others that have in some way a similar profile there's in some way a sense of easier to relate to and they can end up making it safe for us to be real with what's going on and we can not do that for them and so there becomes this field of presence that says, yeah, this is our shared suffering and there's an amazing thing that happens and people that are in 12-step groups know this and people that are in the Kalyanamitta groups, the spiritual friends groups sometimes experience this these are the small communities within our community that when a group of people begin to share oh, this is what I'm afraid of or this is how I feel ashamed and others share theirs we begin to sense it's not my shame it's just the shame and this happens a lot in 12-step groups and the, the power of that is that when we're not taking it as personally there's a lot of capacity for compassion when we think it's an indicator of oh, I'm bad for feeling this shame or this fear or whatever then we're hardened against ourselves so these broadened circles of belonging where people can share and hold each other actually free us from that identity that's, that's owning the pain back to that space of, oh, this is the awareness that can hold it together I had um, an experience that was very compelling through my life I've had these smaller circles of belongings where just different, certain friends that if it was a crisis, whether for me, you know, when I left my first spiritual community and there was a real sense of um, of, is really a lot of grief in that and, um, and there was a lot of conflict there that I had to work through and then when I got divorced there were different small circles that the people that I knew I could most trust where I could really be real and that vulnerability could be there and that field of compassion could hold me and I found now when I watch these smaller sanghas that when there's a real sense of safety that people get more real and that field of compassion gets infused and comes alive so I've, I had a, a recent experience where I was invited to join the, uh, to facilitate a, the people of color gathering that our community, that's within our IMCW community and um, both during it and also when people shared with me afterwards and I've had continued conversations I've heard 
just for some of you that are not familiar, the People of Color Sangha meets once, once a month for several hours. And it's just for people of color, and that's one of the policies. So one of the questions that came up during that group is, well, what about other people that really want to be there? Isn't that okay? And isn't that a form of separateness to not... But what's, what I found, and this was what was so um, touching, is having people say, you know, um, it's like the widening circles of belonging. If this circle feels safe enough, when there's woundedness, if a circle feels safe enough, that circle of belonging can heal the wound so we're able to be part of a larger circle of belonging because there's sufficient safety. And it became so clear that how important it was that we have the, the people that make that where we feel the safest that we can be with and how that was being served in this people of color uh, gathering. And so one woman was describing how because coming to Wednesday night, because for a very long time, less and less so, thank you, thank you, oh Lord, it's becoming more diverse. But for a very long time, it was just a sea of white faces and there were many people that would come and say, you know, I felt really uncomfortable. But when I started going to the people of color sangha, I started feeling a sense of, okay, I'm safe, I can really, this is my spiritual sangha. And then they started feeling comfortable enough to be part of the larger sangha. One woman said, I wouldn't have been able to get on the Buddhist path if I didn't have this one safe place to come to. It reminded me of a story I heard some years back that there was the, these monks from, these Tibetan monks in the Gyoto Tantric Choir, famous for their chanting. And so they were this Sangha that had for years found, you know, they had really gone through a lot of horrors and a lot of, a lot of trauma and their chanting was a way of, of really coming home to themselves. And so they had their, their sangha within themselves. And they came to reform at uh, San Quentin. And now San Quentin Gospel Choir was going to sing in response so that the Tibetans were going to chant and the, the gospel singers were going to sing back. Now the gospel singers ha- had their own sangha. And they had really um, found a lot of healing and a lot of um, freedom in the light of the gospel that had been waken, woken up in them. The organizers were afraid that the Tibetan monks would appear to be merely foreigners and heathens to these newly awakened Christians. So when the heathen monks arrived, the contrast was even more apparent. Dwarfed by the African Americans was a group of small Asian men wearing maroon skirts. <laughs> so the question was how to bridge this gap. And a key sponsor of the event found the solution in an inspired introduction. Here's what he said. Almost all of these Tibetan men who have joined us today has spent years in harsh prisons. The communist Chinese army not only imprisoned them for expressing their beliefs, but tortured them as well. Somehow they were released or able to escape from prison. Then, to find freedom, they walked across the Himalayas, the highest mountains on earth. Some tied rags on their feet because they had no good shoes, but even now they are in exile. They are forced to live far from their home, apart from their families and community, and they do not know if they will ever be able to return. What has kept them going through all of their struggle have been their songs and prayers, and this is what they will sing for you today. In an instant, the gospel choir and the Tibetan monks looked at one another with eyes that shared the vulnerable depths of human sorrow, and they found understanding. Each group sang to the other from the heart, and when the music was finished, they came together to hug and embrace like long-lost brothers. We can widen our circles of belonging. We do it not in an idealistic way where we start right off and say everyone should feel at one with everyone because that is to deny the truth of the abuse and trauma that many have felt with each other. It would deny institutionalized racism and deny how for many people it feels very unsafe to be with other people. So we begin with, with conscious circles of belonging and with the conscious intention to widen those circles. It's a beautiful path. Our next reflection, okay? We're going to explore this process of feeling our circles of belonging. 
And this is a very simple practice that's part of the Tibetan teachings of Tonglen, of recognizing the suffering in others and in ourselves. I'd like to again invite you to sense something difficult where you feel vulnerable or challenged. And it could be the same thing you were already reflecting on. And as you did before, sense the intention to hold this as a gateway to compassion. To sense where it's difficult, I sometimes say it's the place where there's kind of an ouch. It's like just purely getting, okay, this hurts in my life. And for those of you that find it helpful to, again, place your hand on your heart, the power of it is that we often don't offer a loving presence to the life that's right here. So it's very, it's kind of a radical gesture to just breathe and feel, okay, the vulnerability's right here and kind of an offering of kindness. And as you do so, begin to bring to mind others, known or unknown, that you can sense, struggle with the same feeling of fear, our insecurity, our deficiency, our grief. Take your time to honestly sense a friend, a relative, somebody at work and try to bring their being right close in so you can feel as if as your hands on your own heart it's also on their heart that you're breathing and present for all of us that live with the same vulnerability the same hurt, the same fear sense if there's words or a prayer you'd like to offer to all of us who have that same experience. May we all be free from suffering. May we all find peace in our hearts. Whatever the language is, let the touch of your hand and your words include all those who suffer in the same way. and sense your presence as vast and caring. When you're ready, opening your eyes. So I've had many people tell me that when they can remember others that are struggling in the same way, it helps to wake them up out of that sense of my pain to our pain. Now, I want to move to this widening of the circles because it takes a training. Because we tend to be lodged into, oh, my particular kind of suffering, we don't look so carefully to see what is going on for this other person? What do they need? What's their experience? Shortly after we entered the war in Iraq, this, this is a, was in the Washington Post, um, these little entries that, that sometimes get printed up, so beautiful. I loved him before he ever was, and now so much it hurts sometimes. Eyes the color of green tea, soft cheeks only promise a beard, 
At 19, he slipped from my grasp. His friends joined frats. He joined the National Guard. They're going to college. He's going to Iraq. Barely a man, he wants to fight a war that can't be won. He's my son, the baby I bore, the child I nurtured, a proud American soldier. Each day as he left for school, I reminded him, be kind. What do I say when he leaves this time? Sometimes the question I get is, well, if I start to really pay attention, because the only way we awaken compassion is we pay attention, we take in another person and we really look to see who's there. What is this person needing? What's the struggle or vulnerability here? In the same way that we look and say, oh, the goodness, the awareness, the, the divine that's shining through. It's the human and the spirit that awaken our heart. So it's a training to look more closely. And the question that I get a lot is, won't I get overwhelmed if I really let myself feel the pain of that mother? I mean, if I really let myself, doesn't that plunge me into grief? And the response is, if we think that this personal self is going to hold the grief of the world, yes, we will be overwhelmed. But the actual experience is, if we keep opening and attending and opening, is we find that there's an awareness that holds that grief that's as vast as the universe that who we are is a vast, vast, edgeless space of heart. But we can't find that out until we start letting ourselves hold what's here. As I mentioned, the challenge in widening the circles is that we have the conditioning to write off another person as other, if they look different, act different, seem different. This was a, a story by, uh, that was told by the teacher Oriya Mountain Dreamer when she talks about teaching a meditation workshop and she says at the end of a very long day a small thin woman in an oversized parka introduced herself as Isabel can I do this meditation on my own she asked yes I said I'm sure you can although many people find it easier to establish a meditation practice with the help of a group it's just hard to keep up the discipline on your own but what will it give me what will I get if I do this every day Her tone took on a whining quality and I felt my irritation rise as she continued. How fast will it work? Will I feel difference after a week? Will I know when it's working? This was exactly the kind of thing I detested, the quest for the quick fix, the desire for guaranteed outcomes, the simple answer. Do this and you'll get that. My sons were waiting for me and I wanted to go home. I took a deep breath, looked directly at Isabel and set my knapsack down on the floor. I tried to slow down my words, thinking that maybe if I spoke slower I would feel more patient. Well, I said, meditation is more a process than a goal-oriented activity. And it can help you become more aware of what's going on within and around you. And this can help reduce stress. My best advice is to try it and just be patient with yourself. Picked up my bag and started to button my coat. I really did have to leave and I wanted to get out while I was feeling virtuous for not snapping her head off. But as I started to move away, Isabel suddenly reached out and grabbed my arm with surprising strength. But what I want to know, she said, her voice rising in a crescendo that bordered on real panic, is will it help me find God? If I meditate, will I have an experience of something or someone out there listening, something really with me? A wave of desperation swept out from her through me and I was surprised to find my eyes filling with tears. This woman wasn't looking for an easy answer or a guaranteed formula because she was lazy. She didn't want a simple plan because she was unable or unwilling to think critically about what would work. She wanted something she knew would work and work quickly because she was hanging on by her fingernails. She wanted something that would work in a week because she was afraid she simply wasn't going to make it through months or years. I put my hand gently over Isabel's where it gripped my arm. It's okay, Isabel. We all feel desperate at times, I said. Nobody does it by themselves. We all need help. Her hand relaxed a little beneath mine and she started to cry. We talked for a while longer. There is no them. There's only us. When I left, I did not leave one of them. I said goodbye to one of us. 
a human being doing the best she can, searching for the home for which all our hearts yearn. So imagine if we could slow down and deepen our attention and just feel that sincerity in us that rather than reacting wants to know who's here. One, uh, one friend in the Sangha was sharing in our um, monthly satsang, our monthly gathering, um, this kind of awakening of the heart of compassion when her intention became very clear with a difficult person that she wanted to be able to just sense whatever would allow him to feel more safe. Imagine that if our sincerity was there and we knew that's what people need. They need to feel safe, safe enough to be who they are. I mean, the deepest expression of love is we're allowing a being to be just what they are. So one writer puts it that we have to swerve often on our path if we're to be kind. And so often our path is my way or the highway, I'm feeling misunderstood, I want to get this done, I'm busy. And yet, if we really want to wake up this heart of compassion, there's this deep commitment to slowing down and looking and seeing who's here. And the question is really, what does this being need? And the answer always has to do with some quality of safety, of being mirrored for who their, their goodness of love. So I've been talking about circles of belonging and the training is when we don't necessarily understand another, when we either feel violated or confused. And the given is that people come up with different expressions often of reality than we do. I remember a cartoon in The New Yorker and there's this man sitting, he's in the living room chair and he's really angry and upset. And around him he's got his family and animals and each of them are having their own thoughts. And the wife is saying, was it something I said? And the cat's saying, was it something I dragged in? <laughs> and the dog is saying, was it something I buried? And the parrot's saying, was it something I repeated? <laughs> And what I like about that, it's kind of fun, but what I like is that we lose sight of the fact that every being around us is having their own subjective experience. And they all have different flavors. And yet, underneath it, there's that same insecurity or doubt. If people are all at a party and you question them out afterwards, most everybody felt like they were one of the people a little more on the periphery, kind of looking in. They were never the center. I mean, most of us don't feel very quickly a sense of belonging. We forget that in every family, no matter how together they look, every family is dysfunctional, every family has some mental illness or addiction or betrayal or something, everybody has it somewhere around. We forget that everyone's struggling hard. So the miracle, as Henry David Thoreau put it, is to look through another's eyes for even a moment. And we begin to look, to look through the eyes just within our own being, looking through the eyes of wisdom to see what's here and holding that with loving-kindness. And then we widen the circle to the safe sanghas where we can feel understood and begin to look through each other's eyes and, and sense, oh, not my pain, our pain. And then we widen the circles more so we begin with the people that seem different to slow down and sense what does that being need? What will help that person feel safe, feel loved? The Dalai Lama says it's not enough just to feel the quivering of the heart of, oh, okay, I get it, you're hurting. That the full expression of compassion is action. That we then offer the prayer, or offer the words, or offer the money, or offer the energy, but there's a fullness in the expression. That the spiritual path is not sitting on a cushion. It's engaged spirituality. 
It's sensing the suffering of our world and responding, and responding in an active and a real way. This June our community will be having um, a gathering that really celebrates that kind of engagement where we sense our alive spiritual awakening heart of compassion and sense how can we really live it in the world. And I invite you all in advance to to take note of that when you see the announcements coming up. And if you two want to raise your hands, these two guys up front are, are key in organizing. You can talk to them about it. Engage spirituality, it's compassion in action. I remember being in um, New York a few months ago and there's a huge, huge thing of the Dalai Lama right in Times Square. Has anyone seen it? It's, it's right in Times Square, one of those massive pictures that you see up on a, on a building. And it said, this guy doesn't just talk about compassion, he's living it. So I began talking with that story about the psychologist and the chimp. And the beginning of compassion is that presence that notices, ouch, either ouch in here, or ouch in you, or ouch in these people that have been oppressed for a long time, or ouch in these beings that live across the continents, or ouch in these animals that are being losing their natural habitats, whatever. It's ouch. That we get that and then we respond we respond from our hearts. And it's a real journey of the spirit to, to start moving through the world. It's, it's an adventure. It makes everything interesting when we realize every being there's an opportunity for awakening this heart by just deepening our attention with every being that we meet. And for these weeks that we're doing these, uh, if you really want them to come alive, practice the meditations. And for the compassion practice, you might just pick one person in your life and take some time regularly to sense what is it like for this person? What is it like to be this being? That's going to be our final meditation. But the basics of the path, let this world touch us, let the suffering touch us and respond with our heart. So, if you will, we'll do our last little reflection together. And this, to me, is the reflection that I feel like can be the most powerful training in an ongoing way. And as a way of beginning, again, as we do so often, sense this as a moment of the sacred pause. Really let yourself arrive, listening to the sounds. listening to and feeling your own heart right now. You might relax with the breath. Sense the slight smile, which is really a smile of gentleness or tenderness. And the invitation is to bring someone to mind in your life who you care about who's having a hard time. And sense what's going on for that person. As if the person's right here, like really bring them close in sense him or her here, sense what this person's living with, what disappointments, what loss, what fear. And sense that you can really look through this person's eyes, feel with this person's heart, what it's like to be in this body, in this life, experiencing something difficult. So that as you do this, you can either put your hand on your own heart and just sense that through your hand and your heart you're sending a message to them, or just imagine that you're having your hand on their heart or their cheek. 
but just to feel what this being feels and sense what this being needs most from you, from themselves, from this world. And feel that your heart could energetically pray for that for them and offer that to them, that love, that acceptance, that reassurance. Perhaps the deepest gift we offer to another is that mirroring that reminds them of their own goodness. Imagine that. Imagine that you, in this very moment, energetically, can offer that being what they need. Essentially that loving presence. That that being you can imagine is being surrounded by that, bathed in that, held in that. That they can feel your love now. Sense who you are when you are offering your loving presence to another. And as you do, know that you're home. The Bodhisattva's aspiration will close with a brief prayer that may whatever arises in this life, whatever it is, may this serve the awakening of compassion, of wisdom. May this reveal the truth of our oneness, the human vulnerability and that sacred spirit, that awareness that unites us. May this awakening of heart and mind serve the awakening of all beings everywhere. May all beings be filled with loving presence, held in loving presence. May all beings touch a natural and great peace. May there be peace on earth, May there be peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.